Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2334. Today, we're going to go back in history and learn about a tragic event, an intriguing event, and a pretty interesting story. So be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Stanton, Virginia, with a very special guest by the name of Bill Walker. Bill, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am ready to pop the clutch. The uh, launch control is in place, and <laughs> the revs are up to 6,000 more. Yikes. Okay, we're going to lay some stripes down today, which is cool and appropriate because we're going to be talking about a spectacular book that you wrote about the Indy 500 and a very special person. But before I introduce you and we dive into that, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Bill? Well, I, the amazing thing is uh, I'm a former English teacher. I taught English at the college level for 10 years. Wow, I better uh, have my P's and Q's in, in order for you then, right? <laughs> no, don't don't feel any anxiety at all. Okay, I will try not to. Luckily, after as many people as I've spoken to, I'm usually pretty calm with these shows. But of course, a professor, college professor of English, yeah, I better be careful uh, how I say things and make sure <laughs> I'm on tack. But that is very cool. Well, let me introduce you because I want to dive into this fascinating book and something that you learned when you were at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So here we go. William Bill Walker is an author who early on was enthralled by open wheel racing and the Indianapolis 500, which of course we just experienced a few weeks ago. He was introduced to the sport by the broadcast of Sid Collins and became entranced when he discovered the tombstone of his cousin, Pete Chris, who was killed at the Speedway in 1934 during practice for the Indy 500. The huge marble memorial featured a carved image of the brickyard, Chris's car crashing in turn one, and the epitaph, the last lap. Bill spent many years researching Pete's accident and was at the time called the strangest death in all racing history. After retiring from a career teaching, as he said, and joining education's administrative ranks at Virginia Tech, Gettysburg College, and the College of William and Mary, Bill started writing books. Published by Octane Press of Austin, Texas, The Last Lap is a history of his cousin's career on the IndyCar circuit and on the Grand Prix tracks at Monza, Italy. We'll be back in just a moment to learn a lot more about this intriguing story and Bill, but first a word from our sponsors. So sit tight, buckle up. We're talking Indy 500 day and a whole lot more. We'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner 
that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah! has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah! every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Bill, we are back. So what I'd love to do is dive right into this book because this is a fascinating story. And and my first question is, when you discovered Pete Chris, and the the spelling of Pete's last name because he was Swiss is K-R-E-I-S, were you surprised that you had a relative that had been racing cars? I certainly was. I had been a fan of the Indy 500 and open-wheel racing, but uh, I discovered Pete's uh, tombstone when I was uh, very young, no more than four or five years old, in our family cemetery near Knoxville. Pete is buried with this massive tombstone that has a bas-relief image of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on it. And it shows his car going off the track where he was killed. And uh, for a young kid who's fascinated with cars, uh, this was an ideal plaything. I would bring my cars when we visited the the cemetery and uh, run them around the track. Oh, wow. uh, It was a great joy for me. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. And if we fast forward a little bit here, you combine learning the history of a family member and your passion for open wheel racing. At what point did you realize, I think I need to write a book about this story because we won't want to, I don't want to give away all the secrets in the book because it's a fascinating book. It's a huge book, by the way. I mean, many, many pages. Let me see here. 292 pages in all. So it's not a light story. You really took a deep dive. But at what point did you decide, I need to tell this story because there's a mystery behind this crash? 
There is a mystery. And I would say that once again, Mark, it was fairly early in my career. When I was in college, I majored in English and uh, I began to write down notes and scribble down phrases about peace at that point. And, and now that's almost 55 or 60 years ago. Wow. So unfortunately, I've been working on it a long, long time. <laughs> well, and, for, fortunately, uh, though, you did. <laughs> I mean, you, you finally put it together, but life does get in the way sometimes. So all this time, it was just mulling around in your head, I suspect. Yes, it was. And over the years, over those uh, 60 years, I took every opportunity when I traveled to go see sites that were associated with peace. Oh, wow. I made my way a couple of times to Indianapolis, went out to the track. I, I saw a race. When I was in Los Angeles, I went out to the site of a, of a board uh, racetrack at Culver City and there's nothing left of it, but every place I went, I tried to work in a few minutes to focus on Pete's uh, life uh, experiences in that place. Well, let's talk a little bit about Pete. Can you walk us through his early days and how he got involved in racing and how he ended up at the Indianapolis 500? It was his dream. When he was a young kid in high school, he and a friend hitchhiked from Knoxville, Tennessee to the Indy track mm -hmm. and they saw a race and they went back every year. And Pete, who was the youngest of three brothers, had uh, spent a lot of time with a mechanic on his father's farm. And he learned the intricacies of uh, the engines and he began to race tractors. And then his father bought, they, con they convinced uh, their father to buy a Marmon that had won the first uh, Indianapolis race. Oh, my gosh. And they souped, wow. the boys souped that up and began to race on local dirt tracks. Wow. So it was in his blood from the earliest days. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, race tractors and they, they buy an early Indy car, Indy race car. So when did he participate in his first actual race? Pete had had a serious automobile accident that had killed a friend of his in 1924. And he was very disturbed by that. To help him recover, his father took him to Indiana. And together they met with the Duesenberg brothers. And his father bought him a Duesenberg racing roadster. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And uh, it was not just a matter of money. He had to prove that he could handle the car, and he did so. They took him out to the track, and he set some pretty good lap records. So goodness. in 1925, he began to race. And the first race that he participated in was Culver City on a board track. And he was last in qualifying, and uh, yet he charged through about 20 cars that were in front of him and finished second. Oh my God. And they knew that they had the real thing. He was very fast. He had a, a great touch. And uh, by the time he got to Indy, uh, a mentor of his who was a, an Indy winner, Peter DePaulo, uh, had been telling him, you know, Pete, slow down, take it easy. 
Uh, you got to finish if you're going to win the race. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> so Pete uh, obeyed that, and he came in eighth uh, in the 1925 uh, Indianapolis 500. Wow. In those days, they had a ride-along in the car, right? They did. That's correct. Mark, the riding mechanic would be a uh, requirement in some years, and then in other years, it was not. Hmm. So on his first race, he did not have a riding mechanic. But uh, in later years, to slow the car down, the Indianapolis officials mandated that, that you had to have a, a riding mechanic. Well, I didn't know that was to slow the car down, add weight to the car. I never knew. I thought they thought maybe, you know, if the car broke down somewhere along the track, the guy had to get out and fix <laughs> it. But I always thought, what a dangerous thing to do. But that the sport back then was so incredibly dangerous. Uh, and the fact that Pete was a skilled mechanic, I guess he could have been his own riding mechanic. You know, uh, actually, the only role that the riding mechanic played was to let the driver know when people were about to pass him ah, so okay. that he could steer out of the way and be safe. Uh, and it was really to moderate the speeds. The speeds, uh, as these cars became more perfect, they very quickly exceeded what the, what the designers of the track thought was going to be the maximum speed of 65 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. And by the time, yeah, by the time Pete was racing, they were up in the 120s and 130s. Oh, in and that kind of imagine, car. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. And as you know, there wasn't much tread on the tires, and the footprint was about as big for each tire as a man's palm. Yeah. You know, they could very easily skate and as they were rounding the curves, skate up toward the wall, and many times they smashed into the wall, too. Wow, it's amazing. Now, Pete not only raced at the Indy 500, but he raced a lot of other tracks, like you said, a board track, and did he race over in Europe? He did. He went to the uh, um, the the big track at uh, Monza, Italy, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Duesenberg selected him along with another famous driver, to go and race in the Grand Prix of Europe. And uh, the uh, Grand Prix was uh, was on a road course, of course, just like the Formula One courses are today. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the Europeans, who were the great rivals of American drivers, did not expect uh, Pete and his friends to... Uh, race well because they thought his experience had been limited to ovals. But what they didn't understand is that Pete learned driving on the back roads in Tennessee, and he knew he knew how to handle curves, yeah. uh, both right and left, and uh, how to handle a car perfectly. And on the second lap at Monza, he passed the lead car and set a new track record. And uh, he was very proud of that. Now, on the third lap, he wrecked his car. (laughs) A little uh, too fast. So, yeah, going a little too fast. Actually, the gearboxes were not up to the pressure of changes that were required in Formula One driving. And his gearbox uh, went out. Okay. And uh, later that night, though, and this is to give you a sense of what Pete was like, 
he sent his father a, a telegram that, that said, broke track record and car. Love Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pushed it, pushed it to the limits. Well, it's really fascinating. Yeah, really fascinating. Uh, I got to ride, spend a day on a tour in a uh, nineteen seventeen Indy race car, and I'll tell you, it was an exciting day, but. It was a scary ride, even just going on street speeds, because you're so exposed. You're just sitting up there kind of high, and the car is kind of bouncing and driving. My job was to keep the fuel pressure up. I had to keep pumping the fuel pressure uh, during our entire (laughs) ride, but it was quite an exhilarating uh, trip. We had one occasion we were coming down a hill rather fast, and there were two deer up ahead, and I'm looking at the driver going, "Uh, you see those deer? And he goes, yeah, they better not get in front of us. We'll run right through them. They were smart deer. They, They turn around and ran the other way but uh i can't imagine these guys doing what they did i mean just daring young men and their flying machines as the song goes is quite extraordinary and i want to touch a little bit on this but i want people to buy the book and learn the entire story but the subtitle to your book the book is titled the last lap is the mysterious demise of pete chris at the indianapolis 500 can you just give us a little hint here a touch on why it was deemed mysterious because you think of a car crash at a track well lost control the car broke something but was there a long period of time where people didn't understand what had really happened there was and let me tell you where that uh, comment comes from uh, the most the strangest deaths in all racing history in 1935 a year after pete was killed a group of track officials and a couple of drivers met at um, at Daytona Beach, they were there to see uh, Sir Malcolm Campbell try to break the land speed record on the beach. Ah. And one day when it was raining, they got together and they started talking. They were in a bar, of course, <laughs> and they began to talk about people whom drivers whom they had known who had been killed. And Pete's name came up. And if you if you had to set up a coroner's jury, uh, a group of men who can make decisions about this, you couldn't do any better than these men. They were just absolutely well-versed in Indy cars. At any rate, as they were sitting there, they went through the circumstances that they knew about Pete's accident. And they found that there was no mechanical problem with the car that he didn't try to break or steer away from the wreck, from the collision with the wall. Mm-hmm. And, and then they said something that really, when I found this, it stuck in my mind. They said, and Pete was apparently in the best of health and spirits. Hmm. Now, that's an implication. There's an implication there that something else was going on. Yeah. And and they said, uh, like, the, the man who wrote this, who was the AP reporter for racing, said that they finally concluded they couldn't figure out what had happened, and they called it the strangest death in all racing history. Wow. Well, and he had a ride-along in that car who also expired, right? Yes, that's correct. There was a riding mechanic, and he was from out west. And uh, what happened was they went into turn one. And what I've also written about 
Mark, is that turn one is the most deadly turn at Indianapolis. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I've done the statistics, and it is it is by far the deadliest one. At any rate, they went into turn one, and he went directly into the wall rather than making a turn at uh, to go into the short chute. And the car, some way, there was a berm that was intended to keep cars away from the wall, but actually what it did was to provide a ramp, and the car went right up on top of the retaining wall and skidded along for about uh, five to ten seconds, and then it spun off to the right and hit a tree. Oh, goodness. Pete was killed instantly, and the riding mechanic was trapped in the wreckage and lived only a few minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, tragic story, uh, but fascinating. And when you add the uh, the history here of a family member, it really makes this thing a personal, personal venture for you of putting this story together and the history and, and writing this book, right? It was a very hard book to write. I got to know Pete's sister in the 1980s, and she shared with me all of his papers and uh, and I asked her many many questions. We got together often, wow. and uh, she was such a great lady. Her brothers, all three of the brothers, died before they were forty years old. Oh my gosh! And she took over the family business, which was huge. They were very wealthy people, and she took over the family business and ran it and prospered after they were gone. Wow! Knowing her. Uh, was a, a magnificent sort of thing for me, but it also placed a great burden on me to, to do the job right. Of and, course. Uh, yeah. Do you think you would have ever got to know her if it wasn't for the book and the tie to racing? Well, I didn't know what how whether this would become a book, but I knew her. She was a cousin, and my family knew her very well. And uh, when I called her, she was so gracious and so welcoming that I could hardly believe that uh, that it was just like uh, meeting a friend, a dear old friend that you'd had many years. Yeah. So I love her and, and revere her. She was a very, very courageous woman who answered every question that I asked. Well, see, the kindness gene must run in the family then. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. You know, the family still exists. They're still very wealthy, and uh, they're into a number of enterprises. But all of those uh, remnants uh, that I remembered from growing up have been degraded. The farm was taken over by the state of Tennessee and converted to a mental asylum. Pete's uh, grave is now located in a marooned is the way I put it in a small patch of green grass, uh, maybe 10 acres in the middle of an industrial park, uh, that's littered with, uh, broken machinery and stuff like that. Oh, and, uh, it's, uh, when I go back, it's not the same place that I remembered. Yeah. As most places are not. And once we grow up and in time no. takes over and things change a little bit, what was the most difficult part of writing this book for you? 
it was reaching the conclusion about what happened to Pete. I, I know we don't want to give away the conclusion. No, but, no. Uh, <laughs> we want people to read the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Pete's sister thought he had had a premonition about his death. I saw it completely differently. And uh, she called me to Knoxville to come and talk with her. And it was the last time we got together. And she told me a story that uh, shook me to my core. And she cried and I cried. And uh, that was the last time I saw her. Wow. Oh, goosebumps. Well, I would encourage you listeners uh, to get a copy of this book. I'll put links, of course. It's uh, It's been published by our good friends uh, at Octane Press. And, you know, Octane has brought me so many great guests, so I really appreciate it. Wonderful book. I want to talk a little bit about you and cars, Bill, now that we've covered a lot about the book. And I want you to share maybe a special vehicle story. Now, I, I know there's one thing that you and I have in common. I'm a big Porsche guy. I've had lots of Porsche 911s, and you once owned a Porsche 911. Is that your special vehicle story? It is. I um, I bought a, a 911 in the early 80s and uh, drove it. I'd been told, and once again, this is part of my research, I'd been told that if you want to understand how race cars handle, you need to go to 911. <laughs> and uh, I, I used that on my wife. I said, Jan, we've got to buy this car. But <laughs> and it, it worked? Right, I was, <laughs> yes. I got to yes. stop you because there's yes. some listeners out there going, okay, okay, that'll actually work with my wife? <laughs> <laughs> it, it helped me. May I, I must tell you, my wife has been a great uh, partner in this. She she proofs all my writing, and oh, uh, nice. you know, uh, to give you another another little anecdote, we uh, we drove that nine eleven to Connecticut, and I had made an appointment. I don't know whether this name will be familiar uh, to your listeners, but I made an appointment to see Reeves Calloway. Oh, of course. You know Reeves. Well, he's been a guest on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, was he? No kidding. Well, great. Let me tell you, he was very helpful to me. I showed up with this story and I said, I want to tell you a story. Mm -hmm. If you'll give me 10 minutes, I'll tell you this story. And I went through Pete's history and he said, Bill, this is fascinating, but what do you want me to do with it? Why are you telling me this? And I said, Reeves, I know you set up a Paul Newman's race cars. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you would be willing to take this story to him and see if he would be interested in making a movie about it. Ooh. And lo and behold, Reeves said, I absolutely will do it. And uh, he took it to Paul and Paul read the, uh, I'd put together a, a treatment, a film treatment, and Paul read it. And here I've got the letter right by it. It says, uh, he wrote me back and sent it back. Unfortunately, I'm not the right age for the part of Tommy Milton. Mm-hmm. He, I had him being one of Pete's friends because I knew he was older. And I'm not interested in producing a film if I cannot be in it as well. Ah, okay. Best of luck with it. Yeah. And sincerely, Paul Newman. Ah. So at any rate, we, 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 my wife was with me on that occasion. We didn't get to meet Paul, but Reeves Calloway did a wonderful thing. And uh, I'll always remember him for that. I should send him a book. 
Yes, uh, most definitely. You know, Reeves was a guest quite a while ago, but a wonderful talk with him. Of course, his father, Eli, founded the uh, Callaway Golf Company. Reeves, of course, uh, has his motorsports business and cars they're still building today. So, uh, yeah, uh, great people, uh, very innovative people and uh, entrepreneurial as well. I- I'm a bit of a car psychologist here, Bill. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here. Sorry? If you were reincarnated— manifest as a not what you want to be though this is how you perceive yourself the man in the mirror as a vehicle what would you be and why um i think that what i would be is it's interesting to own a 911 you know i have back problems and uh I don't blame the 911 for causing my back problems, <laughs> but it certainly it certainly didn't, didn't help at all. But the car that I owned early on that I loved was a an Alfa Romeo Spider. Mm, yeah, and if I could be uh, a car, it would be a highly tuned Alfa, and I would be on a road that I know very well, uh, and I bet many of your listeners do too and it's the tail of the dragon oh yes <laughs> in east tennessee well there's a backstory here mark okay my my dad worked for the aluminum company of america and the tail of the dragon follows a river uh, on which alcoa had many dams and my father worked on those dams Oh, wow. And so I drove when I was probably six years old. I didn't drive it, but I rode it. The Tale of the Dragon. And the reason I remember it so well is every time we went up it, I got sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I can only imagine, yeah. That's right. So at any rate, I've been back many times since and driven it with each car that I've owned. Nice. And uh, I would be... Driving that Alpha with the top down with my wife beside me <laughs> from Chilhawi Lake to Topoka. There and that go. is a wonderful drive. Yeah, heard a lot of great things. I've got to get out there and do that someday. Well, again, we always talk about books here. And, of course, we're talking about the book that William Bill has written, Bill Walker, The Last Lap, The Mysterious Demise of Pete Chris at the Indianapolis 500. If you love stories, history, and you love racing, you got to get your hands on this book. So today I'm a bit of an enabler. And I'm going to enable you to go on what I call the ultimate drive. Although I think you just may have answered the question. Uh, What I do is I offer any car in the world to my guests. They can take it anywhere in the world and they can have anybody with them, even somebody from the past. So if you wanted to take Pete on a drive somewhere, you could do that in this fantasy world here at Cars. Yeah. So what does the ultimate drive look like for a guy like you? Uh, That would be wonderful. I would love, I would have loved to have met Pete. I would take him to... When you said the world, I hadn't thought of that. I, an area that I love is is an area called the Cotswolds mm. in England. Yes, and there are these little lanes that you can envision a a, a, a TR three or something like that, and drifting that around these tiny little curves, or, <laughs> and uh, trying to avoid the tractor that's coming the other uh, yes, way. Yes, definitely. That's what I would do. That would that would be ideal. And, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a wonderful journey for sure. Wow. If you if we can narrow it down, because you'd have a lot to ask Pete after you've got so deep into his life. But what's one question you would ask Pete? I would. Um, I w- I'm wondering. Uh, how many of your listeners uh, really know in depth 
uh, the story about uh, the cars uh, that were racing during this era. Uh, you know, the, there were the Duesenbergs, mm -hmm. but their greatest rival was the Miller. Yes. Uh, put together in Southern California. And the Miller uh, became one of the greatest race cars in history. Yes. It was a small block, 91 cubic inches, high revving, supercharged, front-wheel drive car. And uh, I, when I tell people that, they say, wait a minute, uh, <laughs> yeah. supercharged, right. front-wheel drive? Are you kidding? Yeah. Yes, it was there. And, uh, you know, the, the mechanic uh, who developed the engine was Fred Offenhauser for the Miller Company. And the Offenhausers ran at Indy until the 1970s. I know. It's amazing. So. <laughs> it is amazing, and I, I, I really I want people to know that and to understand that the, that the heritage that developed out of the mid-1920s, that they ran for decades and were thought to be superb engines. Oh, yeah. So there's a great heritage there. And I wonder, Mark, how many of your of your listeners know that. Yeah. I'm glad you do. Well, well, I, I'm lucky. I know a lot of cool people like you that have, have educated me over the years. I have I got to spend some time with two Miller race cars years ago at a photo shoot. We had them for several days, and those are just amazing cars in this way. Very simple, very clean. They're jewel-like. And unlike any other race car that I've seen from that period, they really were different. And when you open up that engine cowling and look inside, you, your first thought is, wait a minute, where is everything? Because it's this beautiful, compact <laughs> little, little, you know, engine that the other cars just had all this complexity, but they're spectacular cars. So for any of you listeners that ever get to spend some time, and of course, you'll see Millers at some of the wonderful uh, historic races coming up this year, of course, at Laguna Seca. The old time racers are there, and I've had several of them as guests on the show uh, that know about these cars and earlier cars as well. They're just spectacular. So yep, a drive with Pete in England in an old TR. Yep, that sounds pretty darn cool <laughs> by the way there, there, if i might inter interrupt you there there is the big show of millers happens in july at the milwaukee mile mm, yes. so if any of your listeners are in that area uh keep a lookout for the miller show and they fire them up and drive them around the mile. Yeah. So it's quite a quite an event. I'm glad you brought that up. I'll put a link to that event on Bill's show notes Please. page on the Cars yeah website. Great. Bill, you have taken us on a wonderful journey today. I can't thank you enough for connecting with me and writing this book, a, an important part of history, and the fact that it's a family member makes it even more dear and special, of course, to you. But I think the story has a, a wonderful flavor to it because of that fact. Before I let you go today, could you share maybe a word of inspiration or a success quote with us? You know, I, uh, what I admire about Pete is, uh, as, as life goes on, of course, we all get more responsibilities, but he had this through, he had this dream of, of winning the Indianapolis 500. And even though he couldn't drive a full schedule, he made the decision to come to Indy each year and drive the 500 and his skills were up to that they were good um i think if if he had any advice and i and i certainly would echo this it would be don't let up 
don't give up. If you've got a dream, and I had the dream of writing about Pete. It took me 70 years, but don't give up. Keep going and scribble, scribble, or drive and drive and uh, uh, till, you, till you accomplish that dream. You know, this is very interesting because I've had hundreds of race car drivers on the show, and I, I kind of have this this little bit of a joke going, but it's reality that every race car driver that's been on the show has said those words, never, ever give up. Of course, Winston Churchill coined the entire phrase yeah. back during World War II, but it really works. But the fact that you brought it up and your relationship with Pete and this book puts a big smile on my face. And it really is a wonderful tribute to him of what you've done, his family, and the history, a very special part of the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and that race. So I appreciate the fact that you never gave up. 70 years later, you made it happen. Uh, Again, listeners, I will put a link to the book. It's titled The Last Lap by William Walker. (laughs) Friends here, we call him Bill. The Mysterious Demise of Pete Chris at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Uh, This has been wonderful. I hope our paths cross again someday. Until then, I'll see you down the road. Wonderful show, Mark. Thank you so much. This was great. Get your copy of The Last Lap, listeners. You won't regret it. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through Workforce Development Initiatives, The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! A fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!